Hey there! Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Hi, this is Nelson Piles from Society 13 and the creator of the Wicked Library. Dan Foydick, the current host and producer of the Wicked Library, has started a Patreon campaign with a lot of great perks for those of you who want to keep the show alive and, most of all, free. It's an expensive endeavor to keep a podcast like the Wicked Library up and running. Website costs, equipment, storage for all the episodes. It takes a lot of money to keep a show like this free for all of you. Besides that, think of the librarian. Yeah, the poor soul. Imagine if he had to go get a job somewhere else. Here you are, hot buttered popcorns. What are these things? Smell like feet. Like I said, they're popcorns. I don't know whose pop he was, but he was happy to be rid of them. <laughs> oh, sir, I'm sorry. I'll get you a fresh snack on the house. This new guy, not so bright. And you, grab your shit and get out. You're fired. Oh, I'll collect my thing. Come along, thing! So, if you want to help your favorite podcast, and especially to keep the librarian off the streets, go to www.patreon.com backslash wicked library. And thank you for your support. Hello, Jessica. Well, if it isn't my old friend, the librarian. You know, I was going to come in here and kill you like I've done to so many other people on this show. But I can't kill you. Don't act like you're doing me any favors, darling. You know the score. Sparing me means someone has to take my place. Oh, I'm completely it, hitter. <laughs> Go ahead, do the warning. The Wicked Library is for mature audiences and contains graphic depictions of horror and strong language that aim to get all up in your safe space. You've been warned. Come along, Jessica. Maybe we could both find someone to kill. We've got time. Ooh, it sounds like my husband is home just in time. You know what they say. You can't spell marriage without I, Mar, and rage.
kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of, yet. Hold on to yourselves, boils and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> to host a dinner party without awakening the Dark Ones. We all know the story. A lady feels ready to host her first gathering only to open the gateway to all terrible things. And that's why Thumbscrews Weekly is here to guide you through any potential mishaps. The first task is to invite your friends. This is fraught with danger, as ladies are prone to ingesting the heads of the young and those hoping to arrange dinner parties. So, it's important you send the requests via post. Be sure to use the finest gilded cards, or the first rumblings from the Neverworld will be felt throughout the land. Ensure guests respond by a reasonable date, or the face you see in the mirror will look different somehow. Once your guests arrive, bolt the door behind them against any who haven't RSVP'd. Of course, if a non-RSVPer arrives before expected guests, you'll have to lock the door against all from then on. Remember, no amount of knocking should be answered, even if expected guests turn up. They can't be helped now. With everyone seated, it's time to begin the festivities. The food must be the latest recipes from the website. Any deviation will be face-meltingly unpleasant. It's also vital that everyone is either laughing or talking, even while eating. Any lull will awaken those who cannot be made. They must also not be thought of or spoken about. So you've a task ahead of you. However, with a few well-placed acrobatic dwarves or a secretly planted racist, you ought to be able to distract everyone, thus ensuring the safe passage to a successful evening. Well, there you are, dear listeners. All you'll need to know, if you abide by the strict code to the letter, you can arise the next morning knowing you are safe for an entire year. Just try not to think about what you'll have to do the following year. We advise going shopping instead. I hear there's a sale at Shoe World. Good luck. An unexpected reunion. The immense pain in my abdomen sent me to the doctor who sent me for a scan. I lay back in the chair, dying for a wee, while the technician pressed hard on my bladder with the camera. Hmm, she said with a frown. There appears to be a small young man nibbling on your ovary. Really? I said. 
Let me see. She was right. There he was. I could just make him out through the shadows on the screen, but I'd have known him anywhere. My ex-boyfriend. The last time I'd seen him, he was explaining why he'd spent the rent money on weed. And now, there he was, or a tiny version of him anyway, merrily chewing at my left egg cup. We'll have the results sent to the doctor, smiled the technician, and I made the mad dash for the loo. Dr. Mandip sat opposite me in the doctor's office. He was slumped enough in his chair for me to wonder if he was skimming his patient's meds, though he seemed genuinely concerned. He ran through the procedure of waiting and letters and surgery dates, and I was feeling hopeful, when suddenly I doubled over. Even through the warm blanket of painkillers, I felt stinging on the other side to match the original. Dr. Mandip assured me everything would be fine, but now he looked really worried. The hospital date came surprisingly quickly, which was a relief as my insides were like a hamster's gnawing block. I waited in the room, did some more waiting, and then was wheeled like Aladdin on a budget carpet to the operating theater. I held my breath as the needle went in, and the sick sensation of falling began. It'll soon be out, I thought. Everything is going to be... I awoke like an amnesiac in the recovery room, slowly piecing together why I was there. Once I'd gathered enough brain cells, I was wheeled onto the ward where the surgeon came to speak to me. She held up a jar. We managed to remove all the ones we could see. Hopefully, we got them all. Huh? She pointed to the jar. It was like a party where everyone I didn't want to see had turned up, all with diminutive, blood-stained mouths. There were friends I'd stopped talking to, exes, girls whose boyfriends I'd stolen, or who'd stolen mine. They were searching for more meat, not finding it, and circling each other with their fists up, emitting high-pitched growls. Son of a bitch. I'll take it away, shall I? said the surgeon. I was so grateful I wanted to cry. A half hour passed. An hour. Another hour. And I drifted into sleep. It was over. I could go home soon. I wondered if I could flush the many people down the toilet. An instant later, I yelped as a sharp pain traveled down my arm. The nurse didn't exactly hurry over, but when I sat up clutching my chest, a bunch came at once. Oh, God, it hurts! A little head popped through the skin of my hand, its jaw chewing frantically. I flailed about to detach it, but it held on with sharp teeth and dived back inside. It was my gran. I hadn't sent her a card or rung her in years, and now she was snacking on my tendons. Another emerged from my ankle, and a third from my chest. I was in too much pain to recognize them. The medical staff pushed me back towards theater. Past the heart ward we went as more and more surfaced, 
By now, the bed was covered in blood. Past the ultrasound ward next, and I screamed as one wriggled through my right eye. The pain seared through my body, which now looked like a bloody mess. The last thing I saw was the door of the operating room, and the last thing I felt was my own consumption by a thousand tiny mouths. Invite ghosts and earn pounds. You did what? I stand in our front room, staring down at Mike rolling another joint on the sofa. You're always getting on to me about getting a job, so I got one. I meant... Fury fizzes in my head like a bath bomb. I meant a real job, not... Look, he meets my eye. This gets me money, and it means I can carry on writing. That's what you wanted, isn't it? I have to admit this is true. Though part of me wants him to experience the grueling banality of rising at the same time every morning when your mind hasn't had enough time to dream and refuel over and over again. Accepting ghosts into the house, however, is good enough for the time being. He shows me the ad in Stage and Screen magazine, which he still subscribes to despite no longer wanting to be an actor. Do you wish you had company all the time? Short on money? Accept ghosts into your house and earn pounds! It happens quickly after that. The house is checked over for suitability. Enough rooms for psychics to wander through. Plenty of cracks and loose panels for TV crews to shine torches. A few days afterwards, the handler arrives with several boxes. It's very attractive in a conventional sort of way, which isn't normally my thing. But I can't help getting depressed when I see him next to Mike's pale face and vacant eyes. The front door is checked three times to be sure it's locked, and the boxes are open. Tiny beams of fluorescent light shoot from them. One settles under the loose floorboard in the front room, and the others dart through the open lounge door. That's great, beams the handler. They're finding a base. In a couple of days, they'll be strong enough to make themselves known. The TV channels will be in touch as soon as possible. I shake his hand, holding on to it so long he begins to look nervous. Several nights later, Mike and I are sprawled on the sofa watching TV. They're the cops, roars the voiceover. They don't take no shit from no one. You better get out of their way. One of the beefy cops on screen is holding a taser and running after a crying shirtless man. When the door knocks, I yelp disproportionately. Sorry. I grumble to Mike. I've been a bit on edge. I'm even more shocked when I open the front door to see a large camera crew and female presenter with smooth blonde hair. Here we are, she says to the camera, at number 53 Terrace Green, and this is one of the residents. Tell me. She turns to me with ardent blue eyes. Have you heard knocking or banging or groaning? She stares at me. The crew waits. There's silence. Um, yes? I'm sure that must have been terrifying. She barges inside, followed by her entourage. Oh, it was. Mike rises from his seat, his eyes now wide with fear. Some nights we've considered leaving, but all our money was sunk into this property. I open my mouth to contradict him, but something clicks. Oh, yes. I step forward, unnerved by the camera swinging my way. 
Sometimes I'm too scared to go anywhere on my own. Yes, it must be awful. The presenter, Amanda Ballad, I remember now, makes a sympathetic face. They film throughout the room before disappearing eagerly into the others. Amanda wittering about the history of witches and broken-hearted housemaids who met their fates in these very rooms. I'm shivering just thinking about it. Mike and I sit back on the sofa while heavy footsteps trample upstairs. Mike's nervous, I can tell. We've not had any visitations yet, and who knows if the things even took. The floorboards could be damp, or the walls might not have big enough gaps, or... I hear a moan, and a quick glance at Mike tells me he heard it too. I grab his hand and hold it tightly, and there's another moan. It's deep and bassy, like something from the center of the earth. A finger pokes its way through the floorboard, followed by a hand, and an entire arm pulling a torso up to the middle of the room. Its head lolls to one side, and its eyes are blank, unseeing. It somehow knows we're there and pulls itself towards us. I'm unable to repress a shriek of pure, horrible terror as it blindly gropes and the camera crew thunders downstairs. Oh my god! Amanda is wailing and I'm shrieking and the thing is moaning and Mike's hands are up to his head and he seems to regret his decision when a short, pixie-like man steps forward. Tell us why you are here. Why you choose to disturb these people, he bellows. The thing stops groping and moans. I must have my revenge. You will have no revenge here, says the pixie. I recognize him now, the famous psychic and ghost hunter Trey McRae. Those who have wronged you are long gone. Leave these simple folk in peace. Hyperventilating with relief, I watch it return to its hole. The only sign it ever existed, a small scratch on the wood. After ten minutes of telling the camera how scared we all were, the machines are switched off. That's great, says Amanda. Should be a good one. Looked very real. Pam Gary. A tubby man in a gray t-shirt and tracksuit bottoms searches through his pockets and produces a wad of notes. I take it shakily, my mind still juddering. That was amazing, I say to the pixie psychic. How'd you do it? Huh? He appraises me as though I appeared from thin air. Do what? Oh, you mean that? Oh, those things are stupid. They have no will of their own. That one's programmed to come up when he hears lots of people. I make a mental note to forewarn party visitors. Oh. We offer tea, which, to my relief, they turn down. After waving goodbye, I shut the door and Mike dances about the room, clapping his hands. I laugh and embrace him tightly, almost cracking his ribs. That night we have sex, and I don't even complain when I notice the eyeless figure standing in the corner. The next morning is a Saturday, and I make my way down the stairs, ignoring the face in the wall. Mike is already making us beans on toast. Ooh, royal treatment, I joke, taking my place on the sofa and flicking through the channels. We eat in contented silence, and when the plates are beside us on the floor, me glancing briefly at the scratched floorboard, I put my feet on Mike's lap. So how's the book coming? Oh, okay. What? Nothing. Mike, what? You made a face. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I remove my feet and stare at him, but he remains fixed on the TV. He's doing it again, I know he is. 
Suddenly, all the goodness is sucked out of the day. Why aren't you finishing this one? He shrugs. I don't know. I had a better idea yesterday. It'll do much better. I don't know. His eyes remain ahead, as if turning to me will make his situation real. I swallow my fury and try for reassurance. But Mike, it's good. This one is really good. And the next one will be better. It's the fourth one in three years. Why don't you just admit you don't want to fucking finish anything and get a proper job? I storm past him and slam my feet into the steps. I'm furious with myself for using the words, get a proper job. Shut up. I grumble to the wrinkled face in the wall as it whispers for help, apparently set off by our argument. I shut myself in our bedroom and try to read, eventually throwing a towel over the figure in the corner. A tour group appears that night, their guide throwing out cynical humor and lowering his voice at the particular nasty bits. They draw in breath at the story of a maid who hung herself from the rafters and gasp at the highwayman buried under the stairs. Mike and I are sitting on the sofa when the familiar creak under the floorboard begins. We scream and howl theatrically when the creature approaches. With one cry of, Be gone, foul thing! From the guide, it sinks back down. That night, Mike and I have makeup sex, but I can't rid my thoughts of the rolling head on its flimsy neck or fully ignore the aimless wandering of the eyeless white figure in the bedroom. The next day, Mike begins work on his new novel, and I'm somewhat soothed. I read what he's done, and he's right. It is very good. Although part of me thinks the others were too. Then I start thinking about how we could have had at least one book published already, and I start getting cross, which I don't want to do, so I lie on the bed. Mike settles himself next to me and wraps his arm around me. Then I'm back to when we were at the halls at university, and he did that for the first time. I was upset about something, I forget what, but I always remembered how much better I felt when he hugged me. Another tour group comes that night, this time holding a seance downstairs. All the spirits are called to them, and I can finally have the room to myself for ten minutes. So, I say, knowing it's time to pose the question I've been dreading, are you thinking, do this for a year while you finish your book? And maybe have a think while you're sending it out? Mike stares off into the distance, as there's no TV to ignore me with. Yeah, I suppose. What do you mean, you suppose? I'm picking at the scab, but there's no return. I don't know, he says sulkily. I might want to look at it in six months and see if it's the right one. I fall back against the pillows as if I've been pushed. At that moment, the eyeless spook wanders back into the room, followed by a new one a worried-looking little girl. She must have taken longer to grow than the others. That's great. A technician with the seance group climbs the stairs to chat after the clients have left. Billy and Dan are just going to install the night vision cameras and we'll be off. Install the... Mike looks at me as though I'm reacting in the same annoying way he's used to. He makes me feel like his mother and I don't like it. It's for the extra cash. We set up cameras for a live feed online. Not... He reads my expression. In the toilet. Just everywhere else. I agree to it and watch it happen. Doing nothing, as always. Mike chatters with the men like he doesn't do with me anymore. And everything's apparently fine and dandy as minicams are set up overlooking our bedroom, the kitchen, the front room, and the stairs. 
I watch the men downstairs finish setting up and make my way back to the bedroom. I can hear the conversation between the workmen and Mike before anyone knows I'm there. So yeah, man, don't forget to check out that site, Girls Frightened by Ghosts. Super hot. They, like, run out from the shower, bed and stuff. Will do. Mike chuckles softly. I burst into the room and smile with cold politeness. So yeah, you're online and good to go. The workman leaves hastily. I just want to go to bed. I set my alarm for the morning and the mattress is so comfortable it's like a cloud. I'm so content that I make a deal with myself to forget about everything for the time being and let Mike put his arm around me again. I'm wide awake. I look at my alarm. It's 5 a.m. I have an hour before I need to get up. The strangeness and the darkness of the hour sends bugs crawling over my skin. And I sit up, searching for whatever it is that's frightening me. The fluorescent figure of a man with a long beard and sunken eyes looms from the wall. He stares into nothing, and his voice is droning on and on, and I think I recognize it. Perhaps the lady is a natural beauty, or perhaps she's using sparkle cutie. Over and over again, it sings the jingle until I yell at it to shut up. It ignores me. Hmm? What? Mike opens his eyes and looks up at me. What is that thing doing? Mike rolls over and tells me to go back to sleep, but I shake him awake. I knew you'd get like this. We get extra money from advertisers if one of the spirits sings their jingle for five minutes. Just ignore it. Just ignore it? I get out of bed and search for my clothes. I'll have to get changed in the toilet unless I want everyone to watch me, which no doubt would get us even more money. I emerge dressed and tired and look at Mike's sleeping figure. The ghost has stopped its monotone and simply stands there, staring down at him. Goodbye, Mike. I whisper and leave for the office early. The next time I come back will be for my things. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode of The Wicked Library. Stay tuned for a short interview with the author after these brief credits. The Wicked Library is created and shared for free, but there are costs involved in its production. The Wicked Library now has a Patreon account. Head on over to thewickedlibrary.com for more details and to support the show you love. We really do count on your support in order to make the show possible. The Wicked Library is sponsored by the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey Podcast, brought to you by a team of storytellers and whiskey lovers. They bring culture to life through storytelling every week. You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. You can, of course, also find them in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. They also have a production of Beowulf, fully scored with music by someone those who are fans of the Wicked Library would be familiar with, Nico Viteze. Find links in the show notes or head on over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com to find out more. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. Ninthstory.com All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about the great products over at Rode.com. That's R-O-D-E dot com. And big thanks to Rode for helping us make this show possible. Complete show notes, including credits for music, 
art, story, and narration can be found at thewickedlibrary.com by clicking on the appropriate episode number. You can also find a link to our Twitter account, our Facebook page, and a link to rate and review the show in iTunes. Reviews mean a lot to us. Please let us know what you think of the show. And now, our interview with the author. Well, you just listened to Madeline Swan's story on the Wicked Library, and now we have Madeline Swan. Say hi, Madeline. Hi. (laughs) Um, And you actually had multiple stories in this episode, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about each one. One of them is about a dinner party, which is incredibly stressful for the uh, person involved due to being marked on different things. Um, I think that's generally how I feel when I go to dinner parties or any kind of social function. So it it kind of came fairly easily, that one. Um, um, And the longer one, it was an idea that just kind of came to me after seeing things like Most Haunted and things like that. I wondered (laughs) what what if you could get... um, what if you could order ghosts and have them in your home and, uh, you know, make money from uh, people wanting to use it for seances and, and TV programs and that kind of thing. So um, that, that just kind of happened from there. Do you do you wish that you could order a ghost for your house or is this just like something that you were like, hmm, I wonder? Um, I kind of do. I think you can get, uh, virtual reality glasses which you, you put them on and you can see ghosts it's a kind of next level in um uh gaming where um you, you see actual ghosts in your home everything else looks normal and i really partly want to try that but at the same time i know that um i've got <laughs> i've got really bad anxiety <laughs> and i think i find perfect, but fascinating so. <laughs> I feel the same way about ghosts. I'm like, I think you're really cool and fascinating, but please don't be in my house. (laughs) I don't think I'd order one personally. (laughs) No, I think I'd think it was a good idea at the time and then regret it. Yeah, like, cool, we have a ghost. I can't sleep. I, I definitely feel like that particular story, I it leaves me curious as to how their lives are going to change now that they have this extra person in their house. Yeah, I can't see that it would work if you're in a relationship, which is kind of strained anyway. I suppose it's kind of like if people think of having a baby to sort of smooth over the cracks, often actually find that it's a lot more stressful and pinpoints all the problems. Uh, I can imagine that a ghost could be similar. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so, Madeline, apart from uh, writing short horror fiction, what other things do you do? I, I know you have like a blog and a podcast, and I'd love to hear some more about those. Well, uh, we haven't really done the podcast for a while. Oh, okay doing um lots of other things but um yeah i like to i like to do the blog um because it um i like to sort of organize things that i enjoy and i think that um kind of is a part of that i like to share things that i enjoy with people so the blog 
sort of focuses more on other people's creative stuff that um, I, I gather in one area. Um, as to other things that I do, to be honest, I watch loads of films. I'm kind of obsessed with weird films um, and classic films. Um, so I'm, I'm generally watching watching something that I love, if not reading, you know, that's kind of how I spend my time. What are some of your favorite films that inspire you to write? Well, I like David Lynch, and I like classic films with Betty Davis in, because um, she was such a bitch, I love it. And I like surrealist films, I like a lot of silent films, like German Expressionism, and things like that. That's kind of what I can think of right now. Nice. So, with your writing style, how would you describe it, now that people have gotten a little taste of it? Yeah. Um, well, I think that my prose, even though the stuff that I think about and, and talk about is um, quite odd, I generally find that my prose is quite straightforward. Um, I'm not a hugely poetic writer, and I'm always kind of in awe of people who are. But... Um, I tend to think, you know, my way of doing things is fairly kind of straightforward and I like to get my sense of humour in somewhere as well. So um, kind of a mostly humorous kind of thing, I suppose. I, I can see just like in how your characters interact, that kind of humour starting to like sneak through. Um, do you find that perhaps part of why you write more straightforward is so that the absurd kind of sticks out a lot. That's what I see actually in your writing. Yeah, definitely. I think um, even without all the weird goings on, uh, reality is quite absurd anyway. Um, and I, so I kind of feel like despite the weirdness of what's happening, it kind of pinpoints the, um, the absurdity of, of how people are and how life is anyway. That makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. It's a nice little foil to show, like you said, almost like when a baby shows up, you see where all of those flaws are. Yeah. So when you have something really bizarre happening, yeah. you see where the flaws in every person that's in there is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, people are generally quite absurd, and sometimes it takes a really absurd thing to highlight that. How long have you been writing for? Uh, my first story was published in 2011, the first professional one. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I've been writing forever since I can remember, whether it was um, pictures that I did when I was little, you know. But uh, the first time I've ever been paid for it is 2011, and it's all kind of snowballing. So I'm doing stuff like interviews and things like that, which is something I never thought <laughs> I would <laughs> oh hey now people are reading now they want to listen <laughs> that's awesome what was your first story that was published um it was about a it was about a demonic um gathering actually um it was about a, a maid who what was that for that was the big book of bizarro that was <laughs> uh, from what I can remember, it was um, an erotic horror. So, yeah. 
So has most of your fiction been in the horror world? And I I see through your website that there's a good chunk that's, uh, you know, more of the erotica kind of stuff too. Yeah. Um, I like to, I like to do that. Um, but also, um, I think the, the longer and more, I don't, I don't want to say more thought out, but the, lo- the longer stuff I'm kind of doing in kind of surreal horror, weird in general kind of genre, I suppose. I don't, I'm not really, I wouldn't say I'm hugely in one genre or another, but, um, yeah, no, I, I like to do as long as it as long as it can be defined as odd or unusual. I think I'm quite interested in it, and I'll have a go at it. Yeah. It seems like a good fit for you, just based on you know, like these stories that we just listened to, and what I've seen of your work just through the blog and everything. You just you have this great like grasp on the surreal <laughs> and the absurd. And I, I really enjoy seeing that. Um, and I think at this point, we'll uh, point folks in a direction to connect with you and read some more about your work. Um, I know that you're on Twitter as at Madeline Swan. Are there other places that people can find you? Yes, uh, my website, madelineswan.com or my blog, madelineswan.wordpress.com. Um, those are the main ones, Twitter, um, my website or my blog, or actually my YouTube channel, which I think is Miss Madeleine Swan. Nice. Yeah, and uh, by the way, thank you. Once upon a like year ago, you went to uh, Italy and did the anatomical museum for me. I did. Oh, it was incredible. Yeah, the video of, of it is on your um, YouTube channel, isn't it? The, yep. Um, that one's over on on uh, Horror Made, the YouTube channel, and I just I wanted to thank you now that I'm in your earballs because <laughs> that was really awesome just to like see that journey and yeah, and kind of meet like, you that way. Yeah, incredible place, really fascinating. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Well, everyone, thank you so much for uh, listening this week, and you should definitely check out more of Madeline Swan's work on her website and her blog and on Amazon, and the links to those you will find in today's show notes. Thank you, everyone, and have a uh, delightful day. (laughs) Thanks, Madeline. Ha 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 ha!